You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 106. Any particular questions or direction that you encourage leaders to take when they're sort of in that place of curiosity? Yeah, well, there are a couple of things. It depends on whether they're looking about looking for feedback about themselves as leaders. And then I encourage them to come up with questions that are comfortable for them about, you know, like I said, what do pe- what's my reputation? What do people say about me when I'm not in the room? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think one of the things I tell you, Meg, is that in my experiences, I have strong, strong relationships with executives because of that very thing is that I told them the truth. That was sometimes not fun. And so one of the questions I ask them is when we start working together is, do you want to know when you've had an unintended impact, either positive or negative, as we work? I like that question. And I've never had anybody say no. And so that, you know, we we do that in the contracting phase. We talk about that so that as we're working, if I observe that, you know, there may be something they need to take a look at, positive or negative, and you really want to look for examples of both then I share that with them. And sometimes I might remind them, well, you remember when we started working together, you, you said that you wanted to know if you had an unintended impact. And sometimes we're celebrating, sometimes we're not, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I encourage them to go to people they trust to ask for that direct feedback. You know, what do people say about me? What do you think about my leadership style? Do people trust me? What can I do to improve the level of trust in our organization? You try to surround, really good leaders surround themselves with people that will tell them the truth. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler. So happy to have you here on a very rainy day in Texas as I tape this opening. I gotta say, we've had so much rain in Texas. I'm beginning to wonder if we need to build an ark. I hope wherever you're listening, the day is going well for you, the weather is treating you well, and you are ready to settle in for an incredible episode around creating coaching cultures. Now, our guest today is one of six, only six people in the world who have been inducted into the Circle of Distinction by the International Coach Federation. Now, this is a new award that has been developed in this year to celebrate International Coaching Week. It is an award for the best of the coaching profession. People who have made their mark on the ICF and coaching as a whole. Now, I have the distinct honor of knowing two of these Circle of Distinction inductees. I honored Judy Feld in an episode a while back when we refocused in on her episode on coaching across generations to celebrate her induction. And now Beverly Wright is the other coach that I know that has been inducted into the Circle of Distinction. 
and she's joining us today to talk about the seven P's of building a coaching culture. And we're going to get into more information about Beverly and what you have to look forward to in this episode. But I do want to take just a moment to remind you that I am on a quest to learn more about what your needs are, where your challenges are, and how we can better meet those needs. I would love to have a quick chat with you if you have time. And just, it's not a sales call, it's just a chat about what's going on. How can I make the show better meet your needs? What kinds of services are available to you that you're taking advantage of? And where are the holes that seem to be creating a roadblock to the kind of success that you want to have. So I've done two things. I've put some blocks on my calendar for the opportunity to have an exploratory call around just getting to know you. I'd love to get to know my listeners that much better. So you can grab a quick call with me on my calendar, or if you just don't have time to do that, but would like to give me your feedback. I've also created a really brief survey that you can also give me your feedback on the survey. So you can do both. You can do either, but I would love to get your feedback and the link both to my calendar and to the survey are going to be in the show notes. Now, for those of you who think what she talks about her show notes all the time, and I don't know what that is. When you go to starcoachshow.com and you click on this week's episode, it's there's a description of the show underneath it. Those are the show notes. And within the show notes, I will put a link to both my calendar and to the survey. And those will be at the bottom of the show notes. Those links are also on the homepage of starcoachshow.com. So if you don't want to go to the show notes, right as soon as you hit starcoachshow.com, that homepage at the very top, I have a link to both the survey and my calendar. Would love to be able to touch base with you. So now let's get into the value that's going to come to you from being able to explore coaching cultures with Beverly Wright. Now, in today's interview, Bev shares great tips and strategies for creating that healthier, better functioning organization through creating a coaching culture. Now, Bev has a unique perspective in that she has been a leader within IBM she was then an internal coach within IBM and is now an external executive coach. Bev is client focused. She has won many awards in addition to the circle of distinction. She leverages over 30 years of experience with IBM in many different areas of the business. And then, as I mentioned, she moved into being an internal coach and then as has been a very successful external coach for years now. In the words of one of her long-term clients, she teaches fishing, makes it fun and productive rather than just providing answers. 
Her approach to coaching is to understand what her clients want to achieve and then become their accountability partner using her skills and experience to support them in achieving those goals. In addition to working with clients, Bev creates and delivers workshops on topics related to leadership development. She's very sought after as a keynote speaker. She was kind enough to come spend time with us today to share her seven P's of creating a coaching culture. And then we're going to do a deep dive into one of those P's. And what I will say is that whether you're a leader or whether you're a coach who coaches leaders, because aren't all of us leaders in one aspect or another, you're going to get so much good information from Bev's experience and her perspective. So I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go to our interview with Beverly Wright. I want to welcome Beverly Wright to the Star Coach Show. Beverly, thanks for spending time with us this morning. I was looking forward to it. Me too. And I want to start by congratulating you on your recent honor of being inducted into the Circle of Distinction. Very few, I mean, six coaches in the entire world, Beverly. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's it's quite an honor and and a surprise on top of it, but I really enjoyed meeting the others when we were in uh, Pittsburgh in June. So I think a big part of that is probably the incredible impact you've had through building coaching cultures and the way that you have impacted entire organizations with the coaching that you've done. So I would like to start this morning with exploring your seven P's of creating a coaching culture and maybe even a little bit about how those came about for you. Okay, that's great. That's a great place to start. And this was developed over time as I thought about all the different types of teams that I've been a part of, and especially as a leader, what really contributed to our success. And so it started with, uh, of course, it always starts with passion for me. So passion for the business, passion for the objectives, really enjoying what you do. And so that makes a huge difference for me. And I was lucky enough to be part of a company that really made it easy to be passionate about the things that we were doing. And so that's where it starts, passion for the business and its objectives. And after you take into account passion, then you look at purpose. You know, what really is at the heart and soul of what you're trying to accomplish? And it's not just about the objectives, it's about the values of the organization. And are you really living up to your values every day? That means for every single person. And then the big one for me is always people. And, you know, you hear a lot in the news now about robotics and, you know, the changes that are coming. They've always been there, but you will never, ever get away from the need for people because somebody has got to make all of this work. And no matter what we do, that face-to-face interaction or that one-on-one interaction with the people that are on the front line of your company is what makes people, companies, customers loyal to you. And so I saw that in spades my whole career is that when people got involved, that really was a game changer. And so what I started thinking about is, are we really leveraging and harnessing the power of people? It is one of the most underutilized business strategies, I think, that ever is around that's so easy to implement. So that's the other one. And then preparation. So once you have the people, you have to invest in them. 
You have to give them something that they can see themselves contributing. Everyone wants to feel well used and engaged. And so you hear a lot of talk about employee engagement. I'm not sure that in many companies, they really get down to the root level of what that looks like for employees. And we all have a what's in it for me need right. to just know where do we play our piece to make the puzzle come together. But that's what happens when you really invest in people through training and development. You give them stretch goals, keep them growing. And especially now with the millennials in the workplace, that's one of the main things that I hear from them all the time. And I coach and mentor many of them. And they want to feel well used, they want to contribute, and they want feedback on how they can, how they are contributing and what they can do to be bigger contributors. So that's the preparation piece. Just one thing about Mm -hmm. that, there's even that statistic that people are more likely to leave work, not if they're treated badly, but if they're ignored or not utilized at all. So we're not advocating that we treat people badly. We certainly want to treat people well. But that whole concept that we want to be acknowledged and appreciated and used to our benefits so, or to the benefit of the company that we feel valued. So, so key to what you were just saying, Beverly. I couldn't agree more. And, and I can't tell you how often I hear from people that they didn't feel appreciated. And that is the word, that they didn't feel appreciated. It usually is not about money. Money is a part of it, but it only becomes the main thing when people don't feel appreciated for the Mm -hmm. contribution. Then it becomes about, if you're not going to appreciate it, at least pay me well, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And so then another word that became really important for me is partnerships. And so those are alliances with your clients who become your workforce and your sales force because they tell other people about you. What's more powerful than a first person testimonial about the experience with you and your products? And also with your employees first, because if you take care of the employees and have a partnership with them, they'll take care of the customers and the work. And I've seen that happen over and over again. I can't tell you, Meg, how often I have been. I must have that face where people feel like they can just tell you anything instantly. Uh, You you do. You have just a welcoming, just whole presence. And so what happens to me so often is I'll go to do any ordinary thing. And just I like people and I start talking to them and those kind of things. And the employees that I'm interacting with will start telling me either how much they love their job, more often it's how they want to escape. I mean, literally saying that is like, I've got to get out of here. Sometimes I was at Target and I'm checking out and the guy says to me, do you know how much they pay me an hour? The guy's... Yes, as I'm checking, I'm just going up. And that kind of thing happens so often to me. That's like, I'm wondering what, what vibe am I putting out there that... but. People have a need that is so strong that they tell complete strangers how they feel about whether they're partnered with their business or they feel like an integral part and what their part contributes. Mm -hmm. And so partnership and alliances, I think, helps a company or organization build sustainability and long-term performance. Excellent. And then that brings me down to productivity. We hear that word all the time, productivity. We need to be more productive. What does that really mean? Most people I know today are doing the work of at least one and a half to two people. At least. 
and it continues to be asking for more. And what I found is that productivity, when you do all the other things we've talked about, people want to continue to grow. They want to get better. And so it's really, but it works better when it's their idea, when they look for ways to be more productive, when they look for ways to contribute more to the organization, because then you've got that two-way benefit going to the company and to the individual. And so that's how you really get more productivity. And then the last thing is profit. In some circles, they think that that's a bad word. But really, the purpose of a business is to be profitable. And at the base, it is to add and retain clients. And then profit is how you keep score, right? Right. That's what tells you if you're doing the right things by your customers, you're doing the right things by your employees, and you're rewarded with having a profitable business. And so those are the seven Ps. Excellent. So real quickly, I'm going to run through those again, and then we're going to zero in on one of them. And I'm willing to bet based upon your emphasis, some of the audience is going to know which one we're going to zero in on. But Beverly, seven Ps for creating a coaching culture were passion, purpose, people, preparation, partnerships, productivity, and profit. And we are going to zero in on the the most important piece of that. And that is what, Beverly? That's to me as people. As I mentioned throughout my career, I observed what happened to me as a team member before I went into leadership positions. And then also what happened when I took the responsibility to be a leader and how you engage people. And leadership is, is simply accomplishing things through other people. And so you can't do it any other way. So it's, it behooves leaders to recognize that it's a privilege to be a leader, but there's also responsibility in developing people. And that comes with, as part of the leadership package. Right. So if we begin to look at our return on people and the way that, so we can kind of look at this for all of you listening from two different angles. If you are a leader, you can listen to what Beverly's sharing from a place of how can I increase my effectiveness as a leader? And if you're a coach who coaches leaders and executives, you can take this information and think about how can I help those leaders that I work with to be that much more effective? So let's maybe start with that place of what would you say is the difference between being a leader and being a manager? Now, that doesn't mean that they're exclusive of one another, but how would you describe the difference? Well, I think that, you know, both skills are are needed to make an organization successful. And I don't think they're necessarily always interchangeable. So I think that's what happens. But to me, leadership is about uh, creating a vision that people want to opt into. So it's more a place of inspiration and giving people something that makes them want to take the heel, achieve the objectives. And it's more of a global look. If you look at, I always say to lead globally and manage locally. And so what that means to me is that when you're talking about the macro part of the organization, all the people that look to you for leadership, you want to give them something that inspires them to want to be a part of and that they opt in. And you can tell when you interact with employees that feel inspired about what they do. And then from a management perspective, that's usually about more of the operations piece of it. And as a manager, you want to look individually. That's the individual people that report to you. You want to get to know them and because they're all different. 
what they need from you as a manager is different from person to person. And I think you have a better chance to be effective and successful when you know the people and what their needs are from you as a manager specifically. Uh, And I'll give you an example of that. Mm -hmm. There have been people where they say to their manager, I don't really need to see you. I just need to know where you are when I want, when I need something from you, but I don't need to see you every day for you to come by and say hi, you know, whatever that is. They have, they don't necessarily need that to feel engaged. But then there are other people that just the manager walking through, or if they're remote, there's some way that they interact with them through instant message or something that they just say, I I see you here. I know you're working. Just wanted you to know I'm around. If you need me, they need more of that presence. Sometimes it's only about time, like when they're new to the team. Right. And they need that for the time being. And then they become one of those people that don't need to see you as often after they've been on the team for a while. But but that's what I think is the difference between leadership and management is one is about picking a place to go and inspiring people to follow you there. And that's leadership. And then the other is about getting to know the individuals on your team and what they need from you individually so that they can be more effective. Well, and such a key point in that, you know, we're not machines. So we all do come with different needs. And if we're looking to move towards profitability and productivity, does it not make sense to spend the time to get to know what the needs are of the people that are contributing to your organization? Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, I'll tell you a quick story that really crystallized to me, the seven P's and all the things we're talking about today regarding return on people. It was the first experience I had where I'd been asked to lead a team that I knew nothing about the team's mission. It wasn't a part of the business I'd ever worked in. And it was our marketing operations center, which was a key component of our success from a lead generation perspective. And so my manager's manager one day called me in his office and said, you know, we'd like for you to take over marketing operations. And my first response was, I don't know anything about what they do. It's not, you know, something I've been involved in. And so I'm not sure I'm the right person. And so he assured me that my manager, who was new at the time uh, to, to our team, came with a lot of marketing experience. And he said, well, she's talked to everyone on the team. She thinks you're the best person to take this on. And at the time, that particular part of the business was a place that people avoided. They didn't have a great reputation. They were thinking about outsourcing the entire operation because nobody wanted to go there and transact business because it wasn't a good experience. And I knew this, so I wasn't really eager. Yeah, you weren't (laughs) eager to jump on that Titanic either, were you? Exactly. And so he said, well, you know, we think the missing component is leadership and we think you can do that. And so I ended up taking that over after talking to my manager and asking her why she thought I was the person taken. She said, you know, I think, number one, you know more than you think you know, because it really is about people and leadership. And I, what I would suggest is that go in and just talk to the people for the first week and see if you can figure out what they do and what needs to change and then come back and tell me. Right. So that's what I did. I went in and I, I talked to everyone uh, individually and asked them two things. What do you like about your job? What would you change if you could? And then I just listened and I talked to every single person. And what started to evolve for me is that these people felt unappreciated, invisible. They didn't feel like anyone cared what they were doing in their jobs every day. And they just were with, they were like a ship adrift and didn't feel like anyone was trying to pull them back into shore. 
And so I started talking to them about what we might create. And so the short version is I changed the name of the organization because it didn't really describe what their role was, which was critical to the business. And uh, I set them up more as consultants in the area of fulfillment and marketing operations because that's a term that people understand what consultants do. They bring expertise in a particular area. And so we just set about doing some things. And then I said to them, I want you to do a presentation to the whole executive team. Now, what I didn't tell you is that at the time, this operation was completely staffed by contractors. These were not full-time employees. And so they really felt like they were second-tier citizens, right? Right. And And what I found out is that they had been told that by their contract manager before she left is that now they're getting rid of me, you're next. Oh, goodness. So So you were set up to just walk into a lovely, yes. They had a whole lot of stuff going on and the focus wasn't on let me be better at my job, right? Right. So they were so nervous about, you know, they hardly even knew the executive team, let alone making a presentation to them. But I assured them that they could do it because what I found is most of the people had great credentials. They knew what they were doing. Nobody else knew what to come to them with to ask for that they could contribute. And so they practiced and practiced and practiced in preparation for the presentation to the executives. And we were the last team that presented. They looked at, they talked to all the sales teams first. They had all of their presentations done and we were the last team. And so the top executive, when we finished, said to me, this is the best presentation we've seen this entire quarter. And boy, the look on their faces, the look on their faces were just glowing because they had done it. So they felt appreciated. They felt visible. And we went on to turn the reputation for that center around to where we had to literally put up a door to keep people from coming. We put up a half door so that people couldn't just walk back there because they'd come and just stay. They wanted to talk to them. They started being invited to speak at their team meetings about how they could increase their leads and all of those kind of things. And so at the end of the year, every single person who were all contractors got a team award from their vendor for the performance that they had turned in. And it was also the year that I got my second division leadership award for helping to turn that team around. And so everybody won. And it was really just the people. Well, and it started with you listening. It started with you asking the right questions, ask the questions and listen. Exactly. And and uncovering, you know, all this resource and expertise we had had all along and we had not tapped into it. So that's really an example of a return on people. And so I've worked with my clients on those very single things about, you know, what resources do you have in your organization? People resources that you aren't fully leveraging. And, and there are stories about those, too, some pretty dramatic ones when we really focus on, you know, where is there already resource mm-hmm. that you just haven't fully left? Well, and your story really brings to light the fact that the people we work with have many different facets to them. They're, and so when we're feeling neglected or we're feeling like we're less than or second second rate citizens or in living in fear. Because as that manager left, she sort of left that your livelihood is on the line next. All those elements come together to impact, you know, am I feeling appreciated? Am I feeling like my contribution is necessary? And when you gave them the opportunity to make a presentation and be seen 
Well, that's just, it gave me goosebumps. Yeah. They were, if you had, had been there, I, I, that is still one of my best memories, working with the team and being a leader. And, you know, there's a, a Chinese proverb that I love that says, if you want to be prosperous for a year, grow grain. If you want to be prosperous for 10 years, grow trees. If you want to be prosperous for 100 years, grow people. And so that really is the crux for me is that leaders create other leaders and focusing on the people makes a huge difference. I had a client that had an assistant that sat right outside his door. And when I went to visit him for our first coaching meeting in person, and we talked about time management, some of the things that were really challenging to him. And I said, well, I noticed that you have an assistant sitting outside. So what does she do for you? And he said, not very much. He said, you know, I just really don't use her very much. And she doesn't seem to be, you know, offering to do more. And I said, does she even know what you do in this office? Does she have any idea what your mission is, what your, you know, the things that you really could use her? And he stopped and he thought, well, you know, I don't know that I've ever talked to her about it. So we started talking about what might be different with their partnership. There's that P word again, that partnership. And two months later, when I went to visit him in person, we did one virtual and then one in person uh, alternating. He said to me, he said, it's like a different person. He said, she's done so much for me and organizing me better. She, but it's because he invested in their partnership. Right. He told her she was important to his success and how she could contribute. And she was looking for that. She was probably bored out of her mind. Well, and feeling undervalued and, exactly. and what she's supposed to do, boldly walk in and say, you know, you, you're, you're underutilizing me. Yeah. Exactly. And so it was, it was like a whole, di- and this resource had been sitting there the whole time. He had just not availed himself of her total capabilities and how much that could help him and them be successful as a team. Right. Win-win on both sides. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what gives me goosebumps when, you know, you can help your client figure out because time is the thing that is, you know, what I say to people all the time is that, you know, you have two basic resources, time and money. And the less time you have, the more money you need to buy somebody to, you know, to pay somebody to come do some of those things. And so if you've got resources that you aren't fully utilizing, you're wasting time, which can't be replaced, by the way. You know, to wasted time is gone forever. It's gone. It's down the drain. We're, we're not going to get that back. That's right. So another key element, I would think, in return on people or building those relationships is the factor of trust. So how do you work with your leaders around trust? That is such a big topic, and it's one that's showing up more and more in coaching and in in building a culture where everybody feels like they can contribute their best. And so for me, it's foundational. And so I usually talk to leaders about that and help them get comfortable asking those questions related to trust. How can we build trust is a two-way street. And so it's hard for you to get it if you don't give it as a leader. And so sometimes you have to trust first. And there's such a thing as a high trust and a low trust, right? So low trusters are people that don't trust anybody until you earn their trust. And high trusters are people that trust everybody until you give them a reason not to trust. And so some people are in the middle, right? So it depends on what the vibe is or what, you know, what signal they get from people. And I think that's fine. But in organizations, when I go in now, we usually start with trust about, What are the different components of trust? Because I used to think the trust was all or nothing. But the RENA model that was developed by 
this couple is one that I like because it talks about different types of trust. There's competence trust, there's communications trust, and there's character trust. And when you start breaking it down into those three elements, you start to understand that you can have one type of trust and not have the other or the other two. Mm. We usually can start with trust and it's easier for us to be black or white about it is incompetence. You can be a great doctor and have great medical skills, but have a horrible bedside manner. So I know that you're competent, right? Right. But I don't necessarily like your communication trust because I don't feel like you know how to treat people well when you're speaking with them or interacting with. And so that helps. And then character is foundational as well. It's integrity. What are your intentions when you uh, interact with someone? Are they honorable? What do you say about me when I'm not in the room, right? So it's those kind of things. So once I help them kind of look at themselves as leaders, get and even encourage them to ask people, what do people say about me when I'm not around, mm-hmm. Right. When my you name got to be vulnerable and be exactly. willing to kind of ask for that information. Exactly. And so it, it brings some interesting experiences. So they have to be willing to listen to whatever the responses are. But trust is foundational. You can't do really. It's the foundation. It's like building a, a beautiful house on a bad foundation. It doesn't stand up long without that. So you mentioned leaders being willing to get feedback Any particular questions or direction that you encourage leaders to take when they're sort of in that place of curiosity? Yeah, well, there are a couple of things. It depends on whether they're looking for feedback about themselves as leaders. And then I encourage them to come up with questions that are comfortable for them about, you know, like I said, what do people, what's my reputation? What do people say about me when I'm not in the room? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I think one of the things I tell you, Meg, is that in my experiences, I have strong, strong relationships with executives because of that very thing is that I told them the truth. That was sometimes not fun. And so one of the questions I ask them is when we start working together is, do you want to know when you've had an unintended impact, either positive or negative, as we work? I like that question. And I've never had anybody say no. And so that, you know, we do that in the contracting phase. We talk about that so that as we're working, if I observe that, you know, there may be something they need to take a look at, positive or negative, and you really want to look for examples of both, then I share that with them. And sometimes I might remind them, well, you remember when we started working together, you, you said that you wanted to know if you had an unintended impact. And sometimes we're celebrating, sometimes we're not, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I encourage them to go to people they trust to ask for that direct feedback. You know, what do people say about me? What do you think about my leadership style? Do people trust me? What can I do to improve the level of trust in our organization? You try to surround, really good leaders surround themselves with people that will tell them the truth. And so there might not be many, but that you really feel like will do that with the right intention. But I think that is critical for you to be able to have someone come in with a different perspective that will say, I think if you, and that was vital to me when I was in a leadership position in a company. And I did have people on my team that would come and say, you know, Bev, if you make this move, we're really concerned about the team, right? And here's why. And so you know that they came because they cared about the team and they cared about you as the leader. Well, and also that you gave, you must have set a culture that it was okay for them to come to you. Absolutely. In fact, I had a guy on the team once that I felt like never really told me what was on his mind, even when I asked him. And so finally one day I asked him a question about something that was kind of sensitive and I wanted his input. And he started off telling me what he thought. And I said to him, I said, you know, 
I feel like sometimes you tell me what you think I want to hear. I already know what I know. I said, I already know what I think. When I'm asking you, I really want your opinion. I hired you for your brain, right? <laughs> and so, you know, and then he gave me a different answer. Mm. And so sometimes leaders have to be sensitive enough and present enough to know when they really need to ask that next question to get to that level of truth they really need. And sometimes they shouldn't always think that because the person is hesitant to tell them that it's about them. You don't know all the managers they've had before you right. that told them they wanted feedback and then squashed them like a bug when they gave them some, right? So, so that doesn't necessarily mean it's all about you, but it may mean that you have to dig a little harder to build that trust where they really can tell you how they really feel. The other question I encourage leaders to ask their people, their direct reports is, how do you like to be managed? That goes back to what we talked about earlier is people need different things. Right. And so if you, the first time I was ever asked that question, I was stuck for an answer because nobody had ever asked me that and I didn't expect it. But after I thought about it, so here's what I tell them based on my experience, because I was like a deer in headlights when they said, you know, how do you like to be managed? I was like, do they really want to know about that? (laughs) Do I even know how I want to be managed? Because I've never had that option. Exactly. And so what I say to leaders is that when you ask that question, be prepared that people might be stuck and feel like they're put on the spot. So say to them, if you don't have an answer now, I want you to think about it and come back and tell me right? You don't have to tell me right now, but I really would like to hear your answer. So encourage them, leave the door open. And maybe the next time you're having one-on-ones with them, you ask them, have you had a chance to think about, you know, how you really want to be managed and what would make this a, a really good experience for you? And I was coaching two military leaders and I encouraged them to use that question. And one of them, after the first time he came, he's like, Bev, that's the best question in the world. And he told me the reaction to one of his, his right-hand person when he asked him to, you know, how did you like to be managed and how their relationship expanded. And he thought that it was directly related to the fact that he asked him that question a few weeks earlier, that he started giving him more feedback when he'd say, well, I want you to go to this meeting and I'll go to this other meeting. The, the employee said to him, well, I actually think we would do better in the reverse. I think that I'm a better fit for meeting A and you for meeting B. But he said it took their relationship and their communication, honest communication to a whole different level just by asking him, how do you like to be managed? Because now he knew that his manager cared about what he needed. Well, and that's so key there. You know, if you're going to be asking the questions, do so authentically and genuinely and really be open to the feedback. And then that the benefits can be overwhelming for both you and your team. But be genuine and authentic. Really want the answers if you're going to ask for the answers. So I can't believe that our time is already, you know, wrapping up. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you really wanted to be able to touch on regarding our return on people? Well, I think the other thing is that people don't come to work in pieces. The whole person shows up. And so just be aware of that as a leader, because we like to think that people come with just their professional side of themselves. And that's not true. And so be sensitive to the the personal people side of the need because you'll get more from them at work if you recognize that they're a whole person. They have other things going on that may affect the work. And so just be open so that they feel like they can come to you if they need to. And I had someone say to me once that people are yearning to work in a place where they, and the word was yearning that made a difference for me. They are yearning 
for a place where they feel like they're fully leveraged and appreciated. And so I always say, go where you're appreciated and not tolerated. Oh, that's a powerful way. And that's what, and I had forgotten that I said that to one of the folks that on my team reminded me of that last year because he changed jobs. And he said, Bev, you always told us to go where we are appreciated and not tolerated. And that is so key in getting return on people. Oh, what a great way to wrap up the interview. Beverly, thank you for your time this morning. Well, thanks for the invitation. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Meg. Beth is such a perfect example of bringing value and wisdom to the show so that we can all learn through her perspective and her years of experience in all the roles that she's had in life. So I want to thank Beverly Wright again for joining the show. If you'd like to know more about Bev, go to starcoachshow.com and on the resource page, we'll have Bev's information. Don't forget that we have an ongoing book giveaway that from books that our guests have donated to the show for your your learning, but you can't win one of the books if you don't sign up in the book giveaway. So go to the contact page at starcoachshow.com and just fill in the contact me portion, but put book giveaway in there and I'll know that you're signing up for the book giveaway and your name will go into the drawing. Don't forget, I really am interested in knowing about what's working for you and what may be getting in the way of you creating the kind of success you'd like for yourself. And in order to do that, I've put aside some time to talk directly with my listeners. Feel free to grab a slot in the calendar link at starcoachshow.com. On the homepage, you'll see a link for that. Or if you just want to take a couple minutes to fill out a 10 question survey, then you can do that. And I will also very much value that feedback and work it into what I offer. If you're enjoying the show, I would very much appreciate a rate and review on iTunes. The more reviews we get, the more our standings go up and people learn about the show. And that's why I do it to bring more and more information to the coaching profession. So there are thousands of coaches out there who don't yet know about the Star Coach Show. Help me help them. Be sure to tune in next week when we have Master Certified Coach Fran Fisher on the show. Fran is going to talk to us about creating a solid coaching agreement with our clients. How do we, in a session, get super clear about what the client wants to gain from the session so that we increase the chances of a flowing, smooth session that gets the client where they want to go? So you'll want to be sure to tune in next week for that. And until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Fabulous week.